You're listening to the Ship Bob Operator Series. Each week, your host, Casey Armstrong, e-com veteran, is joined by founders, operators, and insiders who are bringing along their stories and data to give you the exclusive inside scoop and tactics from those who have been there, done it, and gotten their hands dirty. You can tune in for a live recording Wednesdays. Head to operators.shipbob.com for the details. But until then, enjoy this audio replay. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to season two of Operators episode. I don't know because I always forget, but I'll, I'll call it 12 and say it confidently. So it's 12. Anyways, I'm very excited as usual with the guests that we have today. I'll introduce them shortly. But as what we always do to get this started, if everybody wants to throw in the chat where they are calling in from, I love to see the uh, global audience that we always have. So as, as usual, I said last time as always, but as usual, I am here in Southern California. I've taken one out of the, I don't know, 40 episodes we've done from Chicago. So I've, I've mixed it up a little bit. So anyways, throw in the chat. Let me see where you guys are calling from. See, we got New York City representing. I know Neil's from there as well, uh, but we'll ask Neil and Ronnie where they're from shortly. But first, we have greats on today. And so greats, they design classically inspired sneakers uh, for both men and women using, using uh, luxury, high-quality materials and construction. They're actually acquired by Steve Madden. They still, as far as I know, operate as a standalone brand. They were founded in 2014 um, in Brooklyn. And so really excited to dive into that. And then we'll get into some of the technology platforms that they use as well. Like we always like to, they use Attentive, Flavio, Yachtpo, Gorgeous, and of course, Shopping Gives, who we have on here today with Ronnie, who's the founder and CEO. Neil here. So he's the president of Greats and former director, uh, design director over at Steve Madden, Dulce Vida, and Cole Hahn. So a few very familiar brands. And in his spare time, likes to skateboard. And word on the street <laughs> is he's building a skate park in his backyard. So maybe we'll have to start with that. And then we also have a friend of mine and a partner of Ship Bob's with uh, Ronnie Sage, the CEO and founder of Shopping Gives, a global giving platform for e-commerce brands. I just love what Ronnie's really creating a new category out there, and the work that they've done, and you know, given. He can give me the exact number, but millions, tens of millions to charities around the world. It's just, it's, it's so timely for, for where we are today and, and how they just integrate so seamlessly with, with platforms. So excited to dive into that and why, you know, Neil found it important to bring shopping gifts into their side of the business as well. So, Neil, first question, let's get into the, what everybody's here for. Are you really building a skate park in your backyard? <laughs> I had a laugh uh, when you actually said that. So, Maybe not a skate park. That's a little bit ambitious, but building some things to skate at home on. It may be a mini ramp. It may be a cement quarter pipe. There's a couple things in process. All right. There we go. Naturally, the things you would you know want, want to build in your backyard. So, and, and you are in New York, correct? Correct. So I split my time between uh, the city and upstate. So the house where I would be building the skate park is in upstate near Rhinebeck. Not in the city. <laughs> that clarifies that I was like, he's building a skate park of some sort in his backyard in the city. Okay, that's um, I've, I've got to see this firsthand. Yeah, that would be ambitious. No. So tell me, like, how did you get to greats? My journey to greats, um, you know, it was <laughs> how did I get here? I guess I was connected through Steve. So uh, when Steve Madden acquired greats, we had some preliminary conversations around acquiring greats um, before it happened and sort of, you know, I had some input and in sort of how I saw it from a brand and direction and strategy perspective. After it was acquired, he introduced Ryan and I, and then Ryan and I formed a great relationship and started working together. And I had the pleasure of working with Ryan for almost a year, actually, um, before being promoted to president. And immediately when I came in, just our synergies aligned and sort of values in terms of, I really, you know, from a brand proposition and what he built and created i had nothing but respect for and and you know honestly was like blown away to be able to work on the brand as a fan actually for years of it and knowing about it obviously you know being in the footwear business so that's really sort of you know my intro was through obviously through the steve madden pipeline as i was part of that ecosystem and then the introduction to ryan and working together 
And then when Ryan exited, you know, I was promoted then to president and sort of took over the reins and really carrying on the work that he started. So you've worked at some very iconic brands, you know, at, at different roles. Now you're coming in here, a relatively newish brand, and you're at the helm. What's been the biggest, what's been the biggest <laughs> difference for you as, you know, you, you run the ship now? That's a good question and a tough question. There's a few things that are highlighted to me. I think the landscape has changed dramatically. So, you know, first of all, you have to think from a context. I mean, 15 years ago, and especially, you know, in some of the bigger brands I've worked for, and even up until probably, you know, five years ago, there it was a very kind of predictable business model, if you will, and sort of, you know, and whether, you know, whether you were talking at a retail level, which was brick and mortar, or you were talking about a wholesale level, right? You design a collection, you speak to trend, there's four collections a year, you go to market, you show the collection, the buyers buy the collection, et cetera. This is DTC. I mean, and, you know, forget even direct to consumer, it's all digital. And it's a completely, you know, and the value proposition was completely different than anything before. So, I think that that's where, especially that first year working with Ryan in particular and really getting sort of to work under him and, and learn firsthand what he created and sort of what the value proposition was and what the mission was, was really, really valuable because it helped me then to sort of get a better footing in terms of where to take the brand into the future. The other so, piece you said it, the value the value prop was different. You you're, you mean the value prop of greats or the value prop when you're selling direct to consumer? What what do you mean by that? I think with greats, what I mean value proposition is different. As a direct to consumer brand, the brand starts as that you know it's about providing the best quality product that you possibly can at a great value for the customer and making it accessible. I mean that's where the brand that's where the brand started, and then. In traditional retail, that's not necessarily the value. I mean, obviously, everybody does that. That's what they're trying to accomplish. But I think within direct-to-consumer, it's so much more important because you just have this opportunity and this lever to pull to be able to really give this amazing product. And let's let's come back to greats in a sec. But from the brands you worked with prior, was it usually or, or was it always through the more you know traditional means, like you mentioned, brick and mortar and wholesale? Or did any of them, did you view any of them as being ahead of the curve from direct to consumer or the online sales part of it? I think Cole Hahn actually, I would probably say from a time period perspective, was ahead of the curve from a direct to consumer. I mean, digital really took a big focus at Cole Hahn when I was there. And I guess it would make sense because it was probably what, 2012, 2013, roughly, which you know, great start in 2014. That was the explosion of, of really, I would say, direct to consumer brands or digital. So, you know, through there, I mean, obviously there was some experience and learnings in terms of, you know, leading teams from a product perspective in terms of what works for digital and what works, let's say, in traditional wholesale and what works in, you know, brick and mortar. Because you also then you have to think from customer segmentation where you're selling the product, et cetera. I mean, there's a lot, you know, start going down the rabbit hole too, even online, customer journey, customer experience. How are you getting them in the top of funnel? What are the levers that you're pulling to activate that? As opposed to, you know, if you're selling wholesale or you're in a brick and mortar store, they're typically, one, the brands I'm talking about had huge brand recognition. Two, you know, they're in locations with tons of foot traffic, high visibility. So as a smaller brand, I mean, how do you, you know, Greats was really great and still making so much noise out there to break through and actually kind of stake a little claim for themselves. So former design director, when things started coming online, how did that shift your approach to the business, if at all, you know, from maybe even packaging to the unboxing experience to the actual shoes and and balancing that with what you're doing within the stores? I mean, I think it's, I'd say probably from a data perspective, you know, we definitely saw that certain colorways and certain materials worked better online than they did in store. Things with bolder colors, things that really register online that really draws the viewer in, the customer can actually see it. I mean, it's probably not a surprise. It's, you know, it's not rocket science sometimes. It's like, oh, okay, that's cool. That makes sense. Like that works. So we would start sort of pulling data to see what's registering and what's not registering. And we would honestly start, I think that's probably been the biggest shift in some ways where there's another sort of input 
into your design process and your product creation process in terms of data. And we're so reliant on data anymore. And even within my design team now, I emphasize them to continue to look at the data, the numbers, and to look what's actually checking. Because the customers vote with their dollars, right? So it's like, it, it's the, it's the you, you can debate all day. It's a good shoe. It's a bad shoe. Do I like it? Do I not like it? But when the shoe sells, like, I mean, there, there's the vote. Yeah, I like that. The customer votes with their dollars. A book that I think about a lot is The Medium is the Message by Marshall McLuhan, which is kind of, you know, out there thinking just on like, I think the core concepts of, of marketing and sales and psych, human psychology. And one of the aspects of that is, is how you get to the customer is equal, if not more important than what you get to the customer. And so I think that's interesting where, you know, you're selling it online versus in the store and what pulls people in will naturally change on like what it is that you're creating. And so are there any examples that you have of kind of how you started to maybe between that and like the data that you were intaking, how you started to like maybe pivot, you, you mentioned like the color schemes, but did, but that, did that set you guys off in like any new directions that stand out to you? Yeah, I guess I can't think of anything off the top of my head right now that's sort of like, you know, it's like, oh yeah, there was this moment and we kind of discovered this thing and we went in this different direction. And I'm sure as I start talking, something will probably pop into my head. But what, what actually I started thinking about as you were speaking is, and also within this shift, it's also a big focus on why. You know, why are we creating the things that we're creating? And I think digital as a platform really gives you an opportunity to story tell more through product. And you, you know, the product is the medium. It's it, it's very much true. And and I think that that's something with, I think we found more so than ever before. There has to be some con, like sometimes just doing the shoe for the sake of doing the shoe, like in the new color or whatever. Not that there's anything wrong with that, or we shouldn't keep. You know, everybody loves color, and we push you know, sort of expansion within different categories, but really giving a reason why to the stuff that we're building. And also thinking about as that product creation is taking place. And I know for myself, especially in my current role, you know, being responsible for all areas of the business where I'm really focusing too a lot on what is the messaging and from a strategy perspective and tactfully, how are we actually executing on that from product proposition, marketing proposition, and just messaging in general. Let's stay on the why for a minute then. It seems maybe it's just my focus on the space and so I'm seeing it more. But, you know, historically, you know, there's been the Patagonias of the world that have always skewed heavily to the why as part of their brand message and what they stand for. Do you think it's like the zeitgeist of the times or the ability to tell the why in a clearer and easier manner online? Like, it seems like the why has been front and center so much more in recent years than in the past. I think it's a combination of probably the two. And it goes back a little, I guess, what I was trying to express about, you know, the value proposition has changed a little bit from, you know, where it's a little different online versus traditional, where I think online or digital we're we're sort of always searching for that why and it's just i think digital creates a platform for us to really be able to express that in a clearer way as you pointed out in addition i think that you know you mentioned in terms of you know what's going on current affairs you know i do think that just from a i don't know call it a humanity perspective people are looking for a little bit more of a why why am i gonna there's so much out there why am i gonna spend my money with you because there's so many options Casey, yeah. mind if I chime in here? Oh, please go for it. I've been listening, in, you know, intently to uh, to Neil. And what's interesting is the shift and that paradigm between what's happened with COVID and what was prioritized with all retailers with COVID is obviously we saw this massive rush. We all know the stats of how much e-commerce grew, and that made us be really cognizant and pause in that slowing down moment. And what we saw, and I think you're alluding to this, Neil, is people are buying from people behind the brand now more than ever. We are taking the time because we have time now, or we had time, and then you know, now everything else gets caught up in our home and work-life balance becomes blended and, and not, not a real thing anymore. But in any case, we had the time during COVID and we are looking for the stories and we're looking at the people and we're self-checking and saying, this is a moment when you look at COVID and then George Floyd's racial injustice and all the things that are happening in this world, there's never a shortage of things, but these moments take us a pause and we're always trying to do better and 
be better from our baseline, right? The, the last best was our baseline for the future best. And that why is centered around who are people buying from. Neil is the person. Neil is the brand. Your employees are the brand. They're your frontline influencers. That was who your people were experiencing, your customers are experiencing when they would go into the store and that humanity of having that experience, those, those textiles, seeing and feeling it. And they're having to replenish that with other emotions and other aspects within their customer journey now, which is not when they're getting to your site, they're doing deeper research. They're looking at the brand. They're clicking off. If you look at the attribution flow of them now, you're seeing them go through the brand story, go into their Instagram, start following people who follow them, clicking on other random posts, going deep into what, why they exist. And so when you center that around, I'm going to kind of build a, a thesis here for anybody listening is it's, a, you know, when we talk about this at Shopping Give is around your team, your community, your customer, and your product. And, you know, historically I, I had Ryan speak at one of our impact breakfasts uh, a few years ago and greats has always been an innovator around sustainability. They were one of the first to do a recycled shoe and that crushed it. That the Royal net recycle still remember it, still have a pair beat to crap and you guys led the way in quality, recycled footwear, and you've seen this massive trend, of course, now Adidas and everybody else has their own version of this, but you were able to experience that and you have led that product, that last piece there. And many people do, just in case that's where you come in. When we talk about products, it's about that supply chain. It's about being cognizant of who you're working with to manufacture your products, how those products are getting to the hands of the consumer. What is the cost in the environment? What is the cost on resources? What is the cost on everything else that's happening in that process. What happened with COVID, and I'll point to COVID, but I'll say 2020, was the reset, the great e-commerce reset of being mindful and cognizant of those three other pillars of our people first, because without our people, that was the number one that happened. Our people run our organization without our people. Our people are our business. Without our people healthy, without our people happy, we don't have a business. So we looked at our people first and aligned with their needs. And as a waterfall of that became how are we supporting our communities, which is where you see the massive rush of impact, right? We saw, I have a stat, so I want to call it wrong, but we saw, I want to pull this up. So compared to Q1 2020, shopping just saw a 203% increase in merchants giving back to health and related causes around the COVID pandemic, 203% increase and giving increased 3X quarter over quarter. So that was the community lever. So you're seeing that full coverage now that, that, that bringing that back to the why is that, that product first, but then that reset happened. And now we're focusing on our people, community, and customer because we have the time and we're now having to be cognizant of that. Yeah, I, I love that. And where it's, you know, I think of when I was a child, we'd go to Foot Locker or Nordstrom to buy shoes, let's say. So you're just limited to what's there. There's no story behind it. You, you don't understand. You're just picking out whatever you like best or whatever they have in your size or, or even more narrow. There was like a Nike town by our house. And so you'd buy Nike and, you know, you just had more selected or selections so, or choices. And now there's so much optionality. And so people were able to consume the why faster. And it was really what's going to set you apart from this shoe versus that shoe. And then as Ronnie mentioned with COVID, and people, I think, spending more time to be thoughtful of the brands they're buying from and uh, having a little bit more time. And I think that's where the brands also had more time. I know even us, we're a fulfillment platform. Like you, don't, you wouldn't think of like, hey, there's a face to this. But we definitely focus so hard on like talking more with our customers and, and not letting that ever stop. So that's, that's been huge. And so again, back to the why. And then I want to bring in some of what Ronnie's done on the shopping gift side. So I know with um, with you, Neil, when you when you go to purchase something from Greats and you go to check out, you allow people to donate to support the Greats Impact Fund. And so let's start with what is the Greats Impact Fund? And then I'd love to hear, you know, how you you guys came to launch it and integrate it with your website. But again, let's let's start with what is the fund. So the fund is a fund that we created in partnership with Ronnie and Shopping Gives in it's giving back obviously to causes that we believe in and we've uh focused on parlay for the ocean sea shepherd one tree planted and uprose and obviously it's environmentally focused as that's been such a big initiative for us within brand as, as ronnie mentioned the the royal knit sneaker that was you know first out there in the marketplace 
that uses seven recycled water bottles just in the upper alone. And then even some of our newer products in particular really make a huge impact on cleaning up water supply and air. So, you know, between Parlay and One Tree Planted in particular, we're sort of covering those bases and we feel like it really fits in sort of within what we're trying to accomplish from an environmental standpoint. I love that. And so did you go out and you were like, hey, these are some some charities or nonprofits or organizations that we want to back and then connect with Ronnie? Did Ronnie and the Shopping Gives team have them you know, under their purview? How did that work? Yeah, I'll be honest. I don't know that I totally remember how, you know, was it which came first? I just one of the things with with Ronnie and his team in particular, Savannah is also fantastic. There's just this great synergy and alignment between, you know, if I can say shopping gives us a brand, but between the two brands or the two companies, if you will. And it was a fluid conversation. I mean, I think through the integration process. And, you know, I remember being on a call with Ronnie and and him jumping in. And I want to almost give, I think, him the credit. And I feel like he came up even with the name Social Impact Fund. So, And I have no problem. You know, I just think it's just a testament to sort of what they do and, and as a partner in how we work together to get to the point that we're at today. And we've seen, you know, just from a, for us, for the brand and sort of how we leverage it and use Shopping Gives, I think it's just, it's fantastic. We have the flexibility to sort of pivot and toggle if there was something else we want to feature, we're able to feature, let's say for a month, something else, and and we can come back to the impact fund. But that's our core. That's where that's where sort of the value lies in the core. And so from, from that conversation, if my memory serves right, you know, we typically have a discovery conversation during the, the onboarding process. We knew so the relationship came, was from Steve Madden and the, and the larger partnership that we had with Steve Madden and they said, this is very aligned with all of our brands. Let's gut check this and go to each individual. And so Neil, we had that conversation and we aligned that there was a fit throughout the organization. And during that onboarding, it was really a lot. We talked about those four key pillars and it was, what does great stand for? Going back to the roots of where you exist and the environment and, and the why behind the entire campaign and, and, and thought process. So having that key pillar um, and establishing that definitely helps elevate the conversation because if things happen in this world, which they do, you are rooted as an organization. That's the why behind what, you know, who you are talking about the people, but your employees are also, you have a voice and are influencers in this. So if for some reason, something, you know, they have, are passionate about something that they're taking part in, you, you have the ability to feature them. Or if disaster takes place and it's in your community's neighborhood, being able to shift that, but then you always have that opportunity to bounce back to your core impact, which is what we have talked about. And so Neil said, how can we do this in a way? Here's what we care about. We care about all these things. What can we do to make sure that there's impact always going back to these, this group of them at all times, but still get that choice because we know that our customers actually an individual and we care about the individuality of them. And we want to be able to reach those customers in a more authentic and meaningful way and be able to talk to them about what's important to them. And, you know, whoever, there was a, I forgot the comment you made or quote you made, or somebody on your team was talking about the non-binary aspect of greats and how everyone fits into these. And there's so many individuals who have their own story who wear these shoes and it can look and feel different on every individual. Like I, one pair of shoes can have, take on such a different life and personality of different people who wear that shoe. And you know, shoes exist, but the people behind the, who are in those shoes and fill those shoes and walk in those shoes every day. And so, you know, that was a, a very meaningful conversation. So that decision to actually leave on the ability for the customer to support their cause came from that concept of individuality and being able to support what's important to them. And so we see, you know, I'm not going to overshare here, but we see incredible usage of people who are supporting causes that are relevant and important to them, but still having that fallback where majority of these, this impact is going to what's important to greats and what they've committed to. And so that's where we create that greats impact fund. I love that. I like how you're given the optionality there which goes back to what we talked about with, you know, there's so many different people buying from these sites, they can look everywhere. And then to be able to, you know, not just support something that's meaningful to them, but be very selective of that. And so we're starting to get some questions specifically about shopping gifts. I want to jump into that in a second. But first, Ronnie, I remember the first time you shared with me, I think it was over a dinner in Chicago of, you know, what is like, the why behind you starting shopping gifts, you know, just really resonated with me. And 
I've been a, a huge fan ever since. So if you could just share with the audience, you know, why did you start Shopping Gives and, and maybe give a, a quick sentence or two on what Shopping Gives is better than, you know, what I did when I kicked this thing off. Yeah. Um, so we're a social impact commerce platform. Our core belief is that every you know action should have impact and that no matter who you are, or what you're doing, that there's an opportunity to, as you said, vote with your wallet and make what you're doing that transaction meaningful. So we are empowering the giving economy. Every brand that we have joined as part of that giving economy, we have um, thousands and thousands of partners now um, that are giving back to tens of thousands of causes. We have the opportunity to enable any retailer to give back of any size to any 501c3 nonprofit that's in good standing with the IRS. We are looking at democratizing social impact, truly. So historically, I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant here. Give me one minute to just talk about this, but the three key pillars of what we do here. Um, I'm going to put this on the soapbox for a second, but this is important because holiday is coming up. Everyone's focusing on this. We're predicting that impact grows 40-50% year over year of how much people are participating in this. And there's a mass amount of regulation in this space. And you're exposing yourself, you're exposing the nonprofit unknowingly. And now there are even more regulation and eyes on this. I'm happy to actually share our compliance page that we just released because we have so many questions on this after this conversation. But all that regulation and compliance, which is why historically you saw the largest nonprofits partner with the largest retailers is because there's tens and 50,000, gets very, very expensive. It could be for one partnership, $50,000 because you need to do what's called commercial co-venture and solicitation agreements. And that nonprofit has to be registered in all 50 states for you to partner with them if you're selling online, which is a barrier to entry for a small retailer to partner with a local nonprofit and you're selling online, that local nonprofit's not going to go register in 50 states. So there's all these barriers to entry. And so we democratize impact. We rebuilt what many people know what Amazon Smile is, but that was my early thesis. We rebuilt it and said, why can they only do it? Let's enable everybody else to do it. And since 2018, when we launched, um, you know, we've evolved this model to be much more aligned um, with those four key pillars. So regulation compliance, too, is that na- native integrated approach driving, if we always say, stronger bottom line, more impact, you know, doing good and doing well. If we enable brands to make more money, we enable brands to give back more. Billions of dollars are wasted in marketing each year when the customer actually wants those dollars to go towards something that aligns with them. So if, if you can shift those dollars out of marketing, and we call it RODS, return on donation spend. So, you know, you have an ROAS goal as a retailer, but if we can shift that mindset and say, we're going to allocate those dollars towards impact and have a stronger bottom line because of it and be able to include that in our customer journey, then we are able to have more profitability. We're able to give back more. We're able to create higher converting customer experiences. And so that is a uh, second piece. And third is the data. So enabling brands to make smarter business decisions, more personalized, engaged conversations with their customers based on who they support sharing their information about what they support and articulating that to be you know more meaningful. So we know that Neil and his team have a business to operate and uh, there's a lot of challenges for every operator. And as good as you want to be, no, our, and, and as much as it's prioritized with every organization, whether you're all birds starting on our Toms who, you know, that's, that's their core of their model. You see that Tom shifted away for the one for one because it becomes unprofitable and they have to shift that model to become they still want to create an impact and they're rooted in that, but there still has to be a bottom line. So if we can enable operators to operate and stream on that back office, then everyone's successful. So that is uh, the long-winded version of what we do. I love that. We'll put you back on the soapbox soon. So you mentioned you know, getting registered in, in all 50 states. The question here from David, he says, your app allows for Shopify stores that sell in USD. It's not a problem for one of his stores, but he has another one that operates in South Africa using Czar. Is there a way around this? Yeah, unfortunately, no, not right now. We are having some developments in currency conversion, but there are lots of complexities and regulation around currency conversion into donations and how those donations process. So as long as your store is core in USD, then we can partner with you. But we do not currently support other currencies outside of that. Um, it is absolutely on our roadmap, but is a massive uh, undertaking from not just the currency conversion, but the compliance regulation around donations. Yeah. it's. It's fascinating how like the compliance and regulation for donating when it's it's for good in general, and yet you can buy from somebody's website around the world very easily, almost regardless of what the product is. Yeah, it, it's, it's a lot of it's around consumer protection and like FTC compliance, Better Business Bureau compliance around what you're marketing. So if you're making a statement of impact, 
or you're asking your customer to donate, how do you actually, you know, as a consumer, how do you actually know that those donations are getting to the end nonprofit? And that transparency of that, I'll just give a tidbit out there for anybody who's trying to do this. You can't say 1% of net sales. That is not transparent to the customer. Everyone loves to do it because you don't want to show your margin and it's more expensive to do it off of gross, but it is not compliant to do it off of net sales. We donate 10% of net sales to this nonprofit. Not transparent. Can't do that. Interesting. So we're going to come back to shopping, given some of the um, that side of the business shortly. Neil, I want to take a quick turn on more of you know the supply chain side of the business, which has been front and center last year and maybe even more this year. So from a main, let's start with manufacturing. Where do you guys manufacture today? So we have a global supply chain manufacturing between Italy, Asia, and Portugal, and really we have the luxury. I, <laughs> which I don't know if I should really use that word in today's climate, but given actually the flexibility of our supply chain and having different countries or different regions, we are actually able to move pretty quickly to support demand. So that's why I say it's a luxury for us. And some of that's fueled by support from Steve Madden infrastructure, which has been extremely helpful. And you mentioned, you know, several rather different countries, are they all, are they redundant of each other or are they providing different items? And so you're having to like balance, like, you know, the supply chain differently there. What's that look like? So great question. And one of my favorites to answer actually is I personally, from a supply chain perspective and, and country of origin conversation, if you will, I it's just like, I don't even know why we still have the conversation about country of origin to a certain extent. It's about the best country or forget even country the best factory for the the right product at the right price and and really in the end the person that values is the end user the consumer and so it's about looking for those partners that share our same values and align with us from a company perspective and are able to deliver on that value proposition and you know that said they're mostly differentiated and they have specific drivers in the or drivers in terms of why we actually use a specific factory in a specific country. That said, the other thing that's, there is no reason if I need it to, that I couldn't because of, a, especially in today's climate, if I had an issue in one country with a certain style, I have all the confidence in the world that I could make that style in one of my other factories, you know, and deliver the same exact quality that I'm delivering in whatever the factory that originally was making it in. And, you know, I think, you know, today you need that more than ever. You, if you start reading in the news, I mean, Italy was shut down forever. And, you know, during COVID, we couldn't get shoes out of Italy. I mean, we still make shoes in Italy, but it's just like it become extremely painful. So we actually shifted to Portugal and we were able to fill demand with Portugal because they weren't impacted as greatly with COVID as Italy was. And so to me to have, you know, when I say luxury to like be able to be that flexible and nimble in today's retail climate, super, super important. You know, Asia, leaders light years away from anyone else in sustainability and best practices and technology. We were working with the founder of Bloom to, to use Bloom Algae in our outsoles and our footbeds. I was having a terrible time trying to get that done in Italy. It was it just, you know, so, you know, we had we ended up, we, we did a lot of that and a lot of the product that we made around using Bloom we did in Asia and they were totally open and receptive in trying to actually partner and work together to make that happen. And so it really, you know, again, that's why I sort of, I guess I'm up on my soapbox now because it's sort of, it's something that's, it's as a, as a product person and my background being predominantly or primarily in product, it's like, you know, I get very passionate about it because I've worked, I've worked in so many different countries and they all have their value in the supply chain and it's just, how do you utilize them? Yeah. Well, I'm glad you called that out too, because I think there are definitely misconceptions about different countries and, and their practices or best practices and then who's really leading the charge. And the reason I ask primarily is is just with navigating from raw materials to actually ships available to the time it takes to the cost. <laughs> like they've just been off the charts regardless of where you're shipping from. But you know, the it can they can vary greatly in a couple of weeks or you know, a month or two can completely change what you guys can even sell on your site. And so it's, you know, just curious on how you've been able to navigate that, especially with a product like you where you have so many SKUs. 
Right. And that, and so that, you know, again, it goes back to, it goes back to supply chain. And, and I mean, you know, Asia's had huge disruptions in supply chain, which, you know, I, I always sort of touted Asia is like one of the beauties with Asia is the speed factor. I mean, they're, you know, just beyond, you know, anyone else, but you know, that doesn't hold true today. I actually go back, I'll, you know, again, I'm sort of very, right now I'm like very bullish on Portugal. I almost shouldn't even say that. I don't want people rushing into Portugal, but it's like, Again, from a speed perspective, they've just been way faster than anybody else. And speed is important because it's especially on the digital landscape, everything is moving so quickly. And it's just, you know, people want that instant gratification. They want it as quickly as they can get it. And, and we do our best. We're not perfect. I mean, we, you know, we, there's a lot of factors outside of our control. I'm sure you're, you're probably experiencing this, you know, within fulfillment and it's, it's challenging you try to do the best that you can and be as transparent as you can with delays and whatever's coming your way. Yeah. I'm personally a huge fan of Portugal, at least from a, you know, a tra traveler's perspective and <laughs> interesting to hear them as a, you know, manufacturing partner, you know, they're the most westerly country in, in Europe and so close to, to New York and, you know, some of the ports on the East coast. So that's pretty interesting. And it'll be, we'll, you know, keep an eye on, you know, how, how they evolved as a country from that perspective as well. Let's talk about some of the things on the marketing side. And again, I know your, your vantage point's a bit different. You're the president of a large company that is part of Steve Madden, which is obviously an even larger brand. But how's the marketing evolved over you know the last year or so? And maybe what's the, the, the biggest focus today? I think it's been a natural evolution, if you will. I mean, I think one of the things for me that's really important from a brand perspective is holding on to that core in terms of, you know, we have, we have um, an amazing returning customer who loves the brand and the product and engages with us. You know, you, you talked about community and to me, it's from a community perspective, how are we messaging? How are we talking about it? And so it's, it's been a natural, natural progression in terms of, from a product perspective, messaging perspective, as things. Now, I'd say that one of the things that we've definitely driven and kind of further into that's been really important and something that's really important to me is the sustainability piece and the messaging around sustainability and responsibility. That's probably a bit, you know, that layer has always been there, as, as Ronnie pointed out, uh, the launching of the Royal Knit, but then. I've really driven into that messaging or making that a key initiative. And that's not, and you know, the truth is that even goes all the way to the top at Steve Madden. It's a big initiative, you know, for Steve Madden as a company as well, as well. And um, what I really appreciate is that they actually really support us in that mission and sort of, you know, as Ronnie pointed out, they're the ones that brought us together actually. And we've been able to lever some of their resources, even within sort of our supply chain in terms of, getting people certified. And why I bring that up is because, you know, when we talk about marketing and messaging, you know, there's a lot of noise out there. And, and I hate to use this term, but there's a lot of greenwashing out there and, and responsibility, sustainability, it's a big buzzword, but I'm really proud of the progress that we've made. So I feel like we need to shout about it. I would say going beyond and further, what I hope from a marketing perspective and messaging perspective is that it almost becomes like, yeah, of course, of course, greats does that. Like it, it's, it's a no brainer. Like, you know, what I really want people to pay is that we make beautifully crafted shoes that are fantastic quality and we're giving them to you for an incredible value, but it's like, oh, okay. And they use blue algae technology and they use recycled leathers or recycled materials, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like I can't wait till we get to the point where it's just like, we don't have to kind of hit the consumer over the head with it anymore. Preach. <laughs> so I'll, get off, I'll get off my seat. From, from your mouth to God's ear, sir. That's, uh, you know, once we always talk about the, the concept that buy now, pay later, you know, is the table stakes, right? Everyone has it. You always have, you have something and ship up. Of course you have to have good fulfillment. So doing a plug for you, Casey. But in any case, everyone has buy now, pay later. And it's table stakes. Consumer expects it. I tr believe that we are on a steady, steady path towards it's, you know, that's, that's our whole business is built on this. And our, our thesis is that every brand should have a, a, a moment of impact, sustainability, 
CSR, call what you will, um, but it's table stakes. Yeah, one thing I want to add in there, and you both have mentioned on it, and because we and we focused a lot on sustainability, and, and even myself as well um, in the conversation. But really, the word I really like to use the word responsibility. And Ronnie, you talked about pillar of community, and Casey, you talked about it just even from a f- fulfillment perspective, which I really feel like in some ways you're the touch point of community because you're how the end user gets product right in their hands when you talk about fulfillment, but it's really about responsibility and it's, we're not perfect. You know, we do the best that we can in any given situation and we're always striving to do better, but it's just about being conscious and about being responsible and being aware, you know, that you're just trying to do the best in all decision-making. So I have a selfish ish question. So back to like the marketing and the branding side. And so, you know, us in like the business to business space, it's, uh, you know, we, we do as much customer voice as possible and because that's what matters and that's where I learn the most and it's what I enjoy. A lot of it is also feature focused. It's, you know, hey, do you want two day shipping? Do you want, you know, we, we made a big push earlier this year where our entire supply chain is carbon neutral. And so, you know, it's all these, let's say, feature focused items below the surface. Whereas I think brands such as Greats and Steve Madden, they do such a good job of like building this, this brand and, and, and following and community. And it's, you know, you did mention something as like a feature, which is, oh, it's sustainable, but that's not necessarily what you're leading with. And so curious on like, what tips or suggestions do you have is like, again, you're, you're building up this like, I don't know, yeah, like again, following of of people over like what you stand for, and how do you guys approach that? What comes to mind first for me, and and I think when we talk about marketing and branding, it's actually community first, the consumer, and our guy. I mean, our, our business is predominantly men's. You know, we have a we have a very loyal women's consumer who stays with us. You know, month after month, but. When I talk about our, especially our men's consumer, I think it's community and and talking about, you know, greats are made to be worn. Where are the shoes taking them? He can wear them to the boardroom. He can wear them with a suit. He can wear them with shorts in his backyard. They're completely versatile. And one of the things we've actually started messaging more, as, and it's been great as things have started opening back up, is sort of events, you know, occasion. Where is he going? What's he doing in them? How is he using them? I had a great conversation with a a chef actually the other day and talking about sort of, you know, he's not behind the line anymore, but he's like, when I was, you know, the idea, you know, your shoes were part of your personality within a uniform and sort of, and he was like talking to me. The reason it came up was because he was talking to me about how he wears his greats and where like he's got okay, these are on, I wear these on the plane because these are great for that. And I know that I could also get off the plane and do a quick workout, et cetera, et cetera. And like, you know, then I could go to dinner and what else is happening in our city around us? What are the things that people are doing when they're wearing sneakers or wearing our shoes? So I, I don't know. I hope that answers your question. I don't know if you were looking for something else. If I, no, if this I'm, is it. I was like, you tell me literally looking somewhere else. I was taking some notes because this gave me some ideas. <laughs> I like the versatility where it's it's essentially like be great. Like you know, again, you're in the board meeting or you're walking your kids to school or you're in the backyard, you know, planting some something new. Like it's you know, it, it can help you across the board or and it's with what? you. Well, you meant because I mean, and you bring up a good point on sort of like, right, the product is it features and benefits detail, right? Like, you know, of course you can message on that, but that's almost like that's as as you talk about, you know, business to business, you really probably do to some degree want to you're focusing on those features and benefits or those those at product attributes because that's what your consumers probably look at, you know, looking for, for, they're like, okay, well, how we're going to get quicker shit. Is it free? Is it cheaper? Right. Like where for us as a brand, as a community, I mean, we want to build a movement. We want people to be part of greats. We want them to be one of the greats. Like that's the whole, right. That's the whole thing. It, it's, we want them to to come on this journey with us and and be part of the ride and sustainability and lightweight comfort, flexibility, et cetera. Like, 
that those are just some of the perks of being along for the ride but you're part of this cool club that we're doing great stuff and we're part of a community and we all fit in and and everybody's welcome it's about inclusiveness it's not exclusiveness we we welcome everybody come we want we you know we're your tribe yeah i, I love that and and so brian let's jump back to you with shopping gives and i know we've been talking a lot about greats today but if we zoomed out a little bit any examples that stand out to you of you know how certain brands have been able to utilize shopping gives or vice versa to really make a a big impact to to what they stand for and and then maybe on the, the capitalistic side or selfish side how they've been able to like leverage what they're doing with you to you know help drive more business as well it was a wow moment for me last week i was in new york for a conference first one probably be the only one of this year and we were in an uber and i'm driving and we stopped the uber because i looked to the right and kenneth cole has an entire storefront like empty storefront, so they bought out the front of, and they had our impact messaging with them across the entire half block. And I had no idea for this, and it was like the most humbling, crazy experience. But Kenneth Cole, you know their level of dedication. I hope you took some pictures. I did, of course. I have some videos and pictures. Uh, go on our on our Instagram. We have them posted. But it was it's just a cool moment. But like they, in you know, really, I'll say very similar to Steve Madden. You know, talking with Greg is one of my favorite people who's the, the head of CSR at... Uh, I love Greg. <laughs> He's amazing. Good people, man. I mean, he, just good people. Embodies impact and the prioritization of just people and, and how we incorporate in business. And so in any case, I'm, I'm divulged. Kenneth Cole, um, their level of dedication to impact. If you go onto their site and see the, uh, you know, look good, feel good movement and their commitment to mental health, and Kenneth's approach of mental health throughout and leveraging that concept of like, it was super authentic because he always talked about it and he, he was started the mental health coalition, but then it became so much more relevant in COVID of mental health and all the challenges that came with it. And so they really leaned into it and have just created life-changing impact for so many people and funded so much needed mental health initiatives in the last few years. Um, it's been wild. And then their activation is just incredible. Like what they see as a result, um, you know, so on year two with them, but I'll give you some, uh, some selfish sound bites here. Let's see. We saw, I have, I have my list of them. 18% average order value increase on orders with donations and a 21% increase quarter over quarter from 103 in Q3 to 124 in Q4 of 2020. And last all of 2020, we saw a blended 12% average order value increase of when merchants were donating um, versus non-donors. That's um, a lot. It is a lot. And some recent cool ones, Notori Clothing. We just published this case study, but they saw, I had to go back and have them fact check this because it was very large improvement. Um, we just published this case study on our website, but I'm going to have it ready. Put me on the spot here. 136% increase in ROAS on paid advertising when they included impact messaging versus non-impact messaging. That's crazy. I mean, especially wow. with all the changes with Apple and Facebook, I mean, people need every advantage they can get. Yeah, I'm gonna chat everybody this case study here. It is incredible. They are an impactful brand, legacy brand, um, incredible story, and it shows their ads that they ran. Wild conversion rate and click-through rate. I was like, is this real? <laughs> we went into the raw data and looked at it. So including this into the customer journey and messaging is, massive value add customers will dig in and learn more it may be not direct response attribution right up front but if you can track and, and see where that customer is continuing to learn more it'll bring them in you're going to seek out the people with uh more value alignment and then you'll make them stickier because they recognize that that's great and i know you've been working with notori for a long time now and to see them continuously find improvements with it that's awesome and and then just even going through the experience with greats and you know, there's so much like a concern of mine from a tech perspective is through the product listing pages or the checkout experience. It's like driving down Vegas with like billboards left and right. It's buy now, pay later. It's donate to this. It's uh, the carbon neutral stuff. It's it's insane. And you're like, I'm just trying to buy some shoes. 
but you know to see you guys kind of blend in the background and and just allow people just to still have that seamless experience on the checkout it's uh, i love to see it yes i mean it, wherever they want to be you know we have the pdp sakara life another partner of ours tested that placement on a pdp and saw 5.7 percent increase in conversion rate and putting it above the add to cart versus below mm. so if you go to their site you'll see it above the add to cart now because different conversation with the vp of e-commerce versus the vp of marketing <laughs> vp of e-commerce is going to focus on AP and leading indicators and marketing person is going to talk about the communications, brand, retention, customer value, you know, all, all the other CLTV. And so, you know, I'm willing to put it up to, you know, we don't say AB test us blanket across the site because that's whitewashing. But if you want to test placements throughout the site and where it lives and how it's reading and colors and content, absolutely. But we also now have roundups. So if you want your customer to round up, it's an ad value. We never say lead with rounding up. You should be committing to impact before you ask your customer to join and giving back. We have point of sale now. Neil, are you guys on Shopify uh, in-store? Uh, yeah. Wait, how do we not know this? We missed but the button. We'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk about yeah, it offline, though. Great. I'm derailing here. This is awesome. Um, we launched Shopify POS. So if you have it in-store, we have that as well. So full omni-channel impact. That's great. And so we're almost at the top of the hour. I want to end with the question that I always do. Ronnie, we'll start with you. And then, Neil, you can bring us home. So. As a founder, Ronnie, what is your number one tip for entrepreneurs today, whether they are thinking about getting started or they're running their own business? Equity is king. It seems like it's cheaper up front. It's not. Bet on yourself. Cash is always available. You can find it. You can make cash. You can't make make up equity. And uh, find find a mentor. Find somebody around you that you can latch onto that believes in your vision. You know, that, that having that shepherd and somebody who you can call on, it's a painful and lonely road. And somebody who's been there is invaluable. I love that. Especially bet on yourself. Neil, what's your number one piece of advice for entrepreneurs today? Have a North Star. You need a guiding light. You got to believe in what you're doing because it, it's, you know, there's a lot of noise out there. I think the genuinity, the hard work, the passion will come through if you've got that guiding light that sort of keeps you focused. I love that. Through all the noise and the ups and downs, yeah, having something to focus on. Well, Ronnie, trust, you know, hold on. One yes, last please. thing. Trust your gut. Trust your gut. I like that. Well, hey guys, I really appreciate you taking the time today. Everybody in the audience, you know, calling in from from all over. I saw we people from South Africa and Canada and a bunch of people in the states. So, again, really appreciate everybody joining us here. We'll be back uh, next week as always if there's anybody you all want us to to bring on please let us know but again just really appreciate everybody jumping on here and have a great rest of the week thank you thanks for having me appreciate it it's been fantastic see you guys